Welcome to the 108th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. I'm delighted to announce that we've now received over 100,000 downloads, so thank you for your continued support. I'm also delighted to announce this uh, this evening's speaker, David Connolly, the goal machine, 35 appearances for the Wolves, six goals between 1998 and 1999. David, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, how are you, Chase? Yeah, I'm absolutely, uh, I'm absolutely brilliant, David. I've been really looking forward to this because you are a player from my era, from from when um, my my formative years of supporting the Wolves. Um, but before, what, what we always do at the start of the podcast, David, before we get into your time at Wolves, is talk about um, you, how you got spotted because I believe it was by Watford and um, Kenny Jackett was your youth team coach. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, yeah, Kenny, as we know, who, who did brilliantly for uh, for Wolves. Um, you know, Kenny was like a, a second dad at times for me. You know, when I was younger, because um, <clears throat> he was uh, a huge part of my life. You know, when I was coming through at Watford, as as, as often you need to. Uh, you know, when you're a, a youngster coming through at a club, you need sort of um, you know people to take ferry you around or you know just be a good. Um, like an inspiration for you and always be there and Kenny was one of them so uh, yeah uh, spotted uh, playing locally local club and um, it sort of uh, went from there so I was I was lucky at that time because um, you know Watford had a, a, a quite a, a lot it was a different time because it was a very skeleton type staff but it just meant that, that everyone was was you, you know was really close knit and um it was great, you know, uh, whereas nowadays you probably have a plethora of staff, so many people yes. around a football club. But in, in those days, it was a it was a more innocent time. So there'd just be a couple of couple of people. And no, it was it was great. Absolutely. Now, it couldn't have got off to a better start. You scored, you had 10 in 26 in the league, which is a fantastic record. And you actually scored on your debut against Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I scored, yeah, I think I actually scored, you know, burst through. Ironically, right, <clears throat> because if I compare it to nowadays, nowadays, if a first-team player got injured, right, say the captain got injured at Wolves, yeah. are they going to put a 17, 18-year-old kid in the team? Um, no. yeah, absolutely not. Very, very, no. You'd have to be in the 21s or you'd have to have been, you know, ripping it up somewhere. Um, whereas in those days... You know, if you're in a youth team and you're doing quite well, there's a someone's got injured in the first team. Bang, you're in. And yeah. It was a more, it was a more sort of easier route in those days. So the skipper got injured for Watford. I started and I, I, I got a hat trick. I think we played Paul Vale actually. I got a hat trick on my debut. So I, mean, um, <laughs> I didn't actually know that. Uh, yeah, that was so. That was um, you know incredible, really, and. Um, you know, so we're very, uh, yeah, very enjoyable times. Well, I was going to talk about your hat tricks. I was going to leave that to the end, but I believe it was two for Watford, one for Leicester, um, two for Wimbledon, and one for Wolves. Is that right? Did you get six hat tricks in your career, David? Um, I don't, you know what? It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, um, I got yeah, probably. I mean, um, 
yeah, got a few at Wimbledon, like you say, got 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 four for Wolves, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, for Ireland and uh, yeah, to, to Leicester. Yeah, you might be right there. So um, the balls are somewhere. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Where, have yeah. you still got all the hat trick balls? Yeah, my parents had them. I mean, they're, they're, they're a bit flat now, and uh, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, as a, uh, a, it's not very often you score. Yeah, hat tricks in your career on your debut or for for, for your country. So um, um, you know that that, that was uh, yeah, it was all downhill from then on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it clearly wasn't because in '97, and and this is so interesting. So at this point, you're a young man of about nineteen, twenty, I believe. You got a very, very. I'd say at the time, quite an unusual move. It's, it's quite uh, now for players to go abroad. But back then, as a 19, 20-year-old lad, you went over to Feyenoord in Holland and you spent four years there. How did that move come about, David? Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't want to bore the listeners with this, but I mean, in terms of um, how it came about, I mean, um, I, I was playing for Ireland, you know, young lad. Again, easier than in those days because, you know, there wasn't maybe an abundance of strikers, right? Okay. Um, so That's very you know, modest of you to say, David, I'll be honest. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, I'd kind of grown up and, and uh, all my family are Irish and it was, you, you know, that was the that was the pathway I was going to go. Didn't think it would happen. But anyway, got the call. Um, you know, scored for Ireland after a couple of games, scored a hat-trick, and we just happened to be playing Holland in final stadium. Okay. Pre-Europe about pre-Euro 96. Yeah. Um, you know, they had an amazing team. I played very well. Uh, we then played Portugal. I did well. And I was scoring goals and I was on a free. Now, you know, no, um, but it was an opportunity that at the time they were playing Champions League football. They yes. They had incredible players. And you just couldn't really turn it down. You know, the, 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 there was good money on offer, but I had good money on offer for other clubs in England so it wasn't really that it was that wasn't a deal breaker I think the deal breaker was when you looked at the team and the, the actual size of the club I mean the stadium had 50 odd thousand you know it's in, uh, uh, for those that don't know about it it is an incredible football club oh yes probably you know it is just off the scale um, fanatical support um, yeah so it, it was one of them but I went there I was too young not ready not probably good enough of the level um because it was a big jump but um you know i did really enjoy it oh and you also I believe you mentioned champions league football you actually played against man united in the champions league while you was there yeah i had the graveyard shift of being a lone man up and <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah uh, sort of um you know, it was uh, a thankless task. I mean, that season uh, was amazing. Yeah, I started, obviously started United away and um, played against Juve. And, um, you know, it was, it, albeit briefly, but it was, yeah, it was a start of another game against Pizice. Um But, you know, to be honest, me and the manager, we didn't see eye to eye because the manager that signed me, Ari Hahn, I scored him a debut for Feyenoord. And I thought, well, you know what? If I work hard here, I, I, I might be okay here. And, and I was playing and starting games but you know a new manager comes in and they see things differently so hence the uh, the move to Wolves. Yes well that was 98-99 the biggest move of them all um, I mean what's so interesting about this I believe it was Mark McGee that signed you um, originally and your goal started coming under Colin Lee. I mean, we have got to talk about that that game, David. I think 
it, Mark McGee, he seemed to be playing you mainly at the start, mainly as a substitute. Was it frustrating at the time that you didn't get straight into the Wolves side on the basis that you'd been signed on loan? Yeah, I mean, it was just a bit unusual because, uh, look, I had no uh, divine right to play or I'd never really say that. And obviously Wolves at the time had a lot of, uh, you know, Steve Ball. I mean, geez, you know, Robbie was coming through. Yes. Um, you know, so I didn't, uh, but maybe you thought I wasn't uh, quite ready or wasn't um, quite um, fit enough. Um, so that was, you know, that was Mark's uh, decision and... Um, um, you know that was that was fine. It just you know it, it didn't quite go the way I'd uh, the way I'd want. But I mean, um, let's see, probably the, the high point was um, was the four against uh, oh. Bristol uh, against against Bristol City. More more for the mascots fighting rather well. than the actual. Uh, the game and the goals, but there you go. I mean, what, what a game that was. 7th of November, 1998, Bristol City away. Quite rightly, there was a, a fight between the mascots, between the three little pigs and, and Wolfie. Uh, but, but yourself, David, I mean, games like that are, are obviously what you live for, they're what you train for. To score four goals in one game, I mean, for you, one, it's a fantastic achievement. But when it's games like that, do you literally feel like every shot that you're going to have is going to fly into the net? Yeah, I mean, if I just rewind back a little bit, I guess the move the move to Wolves came about because Mark uh, Mark McGee and Mick McCarthy were good mates. Yes, you know. So Mick Mick spoke to me about it, and um, you know, I, I, I was like, yeah. And I spoke to Mark, and and, and, and you know, and I, and I got to Wolves, and I remember you know renting a little place right by the training ground. I, I think I actually walked in my slippers to training. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, because uh, I sort of thought, well, where do you go? You're only here for a few months, you know, and, and I found a little place. I think it was right by Tettenhall. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, the, the lads were a great, you know, great bunch of lads, obviously massive football club. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't sort of get the chance to play for in your career club like Wolves that often. So I was like, yeah, bang, let's do it. But, but obviously then the goals did dry up. So, you know, and it worked in some ways that, you know, you come back and, you, you know, the championship was still a difficult league, yes. a high level, you know, so all, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, and then, yeah, then it came to the Bristol City game, which um, took a while for me to, to get the goals. But in that game, um, sort of everything uh, went like, you know, that I hit went in the back of the net. And yeah, I look, I look back, I look back at that game because I watched the video of it. OK. And, um, Whether just just the goals, not the whole flipping game. Yes, yes, yes. Myself like that, but um, (laughs) you know, it's funny when how people because I'll come back to this a bit later with Fran uh, when we talk about yes, yes. But one thing you know, he 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 touched on about you know passion. You know, when the effort is gone or whatever, what you know, do you have a passion for the game? And I had a real passion. Yes, and I and 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 I think you've got to have a passion in life about something. But when I scored that first goal, it was either relief or passion. But then I looked, I looked at all my goals. I looked at my celebration, and and it was pure joy. Yes, joy. And I look now in in life, and I, and where do you get that joy? And I guess as a fan, your joy is you know when your team wins, someone scores that pure joy, right? And and you look at the you look at when you score a goal and every one of those goals, I remember I'd like almost put my wrap my legs around Guy Whittingham and you know, <laughs> Yes. It, it, 
you know, you look back at it and you go, well, that's that's why you play the game. And um, some of those goals are really, you know, really well worked goals. A, a, a little a sort of a little ball run over my head into Guy because I knew he was behind me. He set me beautifully first time. You know, there was. Everything just worked, so it's a good game. I mean, Guy Whittingham, what a goal scorer. We did a podcast with him a couple of years back, and once again, he was an absolute goal machine. I mean, when you've got players like yourself in the team, Guy Whittingham, I mean, around the club at the time, Steve Ball was still there, Robbie Keane's coming through, that's probably why chances were limited, um, because there were so many natural goal scorers at the club. Yeah, although, you know, I looked, I think the next season... Was it the next season Wolves got up? I can't remember. But, I mean, I think that we scored a similar amount of goals in in that season. You know, both seasons were a similar amount of goals, but yes. one season led to a promotion and one, uh, or the playoffs, I think the next season... Yeah, it was the, the, yeah, the playoffs, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's fine margins, but... but Absolutely. Like all those goals, but with all those goals in the team, I think we drew way too many games. Yes. So, for whatever it was just trying to find the right mix I think and, th- and that was a difficulty but when you're a striker make no mistake uh, you are responsible you're culpable you know you are the one that is you know the onus is on you and um, yeah so uh, um, that that was um, but Guy was a you know, I guess the pleasing thing when you go for your career is you know I played for Mick for, for Ireland um, and you know still talk to Mick to these days I still the guy uh, these days you know so um, there were some really good people there but yeah the goal's probably not enough but um, yeah a couple of uh, decent games and, and obviously the four against Bristol City stand out oh absolutely and there was the one against Sheffield United at home in a 2-1 win only three days later, actually. Uh, so he was on a bit of a run there. And then the next goal didn't come till March. For you, though, David, was there any chance of that move becoming permanent? I don't... I'm not sure. I don't think it was in... Uh, you know, because... I didn't know what was happening in Holland with the manager. And yes. when that manager did leave, I went back to final. You know, and then... I guess when he left, when my contract ended at final, they offered me a new contract. So it was almost like, you know, I think I went back to Holland, uh, not bec- but, but one, because I didn't do enough at Wolves anyway. So, you know, I, I've been in the game long enough to know that, you know, to do well enough, you've got to go and, and, and do well. And obviously you've got Robbie coming up on the rails. Yes. So it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be a long-term uh, solution. And by the same token, I think I went back to Holland thinking, well, you know, is this manager going to, you know, do you still not want me? What am I going to do next? Um, because I felt I could do okay there if given an opportunity. So that that was, that was um, yeah, and it probably worked out best for both because you had Robbie coming up and, and the next season went very well. Yes. And, and from your perspective, David, what was your relationship like with Mark McGee and, and obviously latterly Collinley? Yeah, I mean, really good. Look, when you're a manager, and I've been on that side of the fence when you're you go from a player to coaching and stuff. You know, they, they, you, you know, you're obviously under pressure as a manager. You need people to to deliver, to, yes, to, to get your goals and and do well for you. So, no, I, I whenever I've seen Mark since, I've got on very well with Mark. It was it was it was nothing uh, nothing like that. And um, uh, and same with Colin, but but ultimately they want. 
plenty of players that are delivering, and and you know I didn't I didn't get enough goals at that time, which is um, you know that's that's the long and short of it. Make no mistake, and uh, yeah, but but no, no complaints uh, um, either way. I mean, you know, it was it was uh, you know it's a mate. Whenever I go back to Wolves, I worked there a few times. I went to Wolves to see Kenny Jacket when he was manager. I went yeah. to Wolves to see Kevin Thelwell, um because I did a course with Kevin. So I'd often be up, not often, a few times I'd be up at Wolves on the around the training ground. Yes, you know, and um, and to to see it when it then evolved in the new training ground and everything. I mean, it was it was, uh, it was amazing. So um, yeah, I mean, fantastic club. Um, so no hard feelings whatsoever. I mean, that's a very very. Honest assessment, David, because, you know, the the goals were, were few and far between, apart from the Bristol City game. But then you went on loan to Excelsior, which are also in Rotterdam, uh, 42 goals in, in 48 appearances. And then you got a permanent move to Wimbledon where it was 42 goals in 63 appearances. So, I mean, we're talking there, 80-odd goals in, in just over 100 games. So after you left Wolves, you really did hit the goal trail. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that if I if I look back, I think that um, because Mick McGarvey came over, uh, obviously former Wolves manager as well. You know, Mick came over to uh, to watch me in Holland, and, and he felt the standard um, when I went on loan in Holland was similar to the Championship. Now, yes, I, I don't know if that's strictly true, but when I came back to Wimbledon, my goals were pretty similar to what I was getting on loan in Holland. You know, so. I reckon it was similar-ish, probably a little bit lower, I'm not sure, but it was similar-ish because my goal ratio was the same. Or yes. Very, very close to being the same. So in that regard, you're going, well, you know, I think the second season Wimbledon, I got I got badly injured in pre-season, but I got 24 goals in 28 games. I mean, that was the highest goal-to-game ratio in the country, you know. So at that moment, I was hot, you know. Yes, I was, yes. I was, a, I, was a really, I was a really good finisher. Um, at that time so probably the move to Wolves I, I just wasn't quite ready I probably needed to be playing regular football somewhere a bit like a, a bit lower yes you know, yes still maybe in the, in the in, still maybe in the championship but it might have been at a, a, you know, a different team yes and then maybe the goal playing playing regularly uh, uh, you know maybe I would have got fitter quicker and be sharper earlier, and then maybe I would have got more goals, yeah, maybe. Now, obviously, being a goal scorer, you did get your opportunity for your country, which I believe you was 18 when you made your debut, nine goals in 41 appearances for the Republic of Ireland. You probably don't want me to remind you of this, David. You did play in the 2002 World Cup. I mean, that was a fantastic World Cup. I remember... As a Wolves fan, obviously continuing to follow Robbie Keane's career, he had a particularly good World Cup. Now, the island uh, got to face Spain in the second round and it went to penalties. So, before we go into what happened, for you, playing for your country must have been an absolutely huge honour, David. Yeah, I mean, look, that's great because a bit like uh, like Wolves had a, had, a, you know, had a lot of Irish lads coming through, right? Yes. I mean, at the time, Dom Dominic Foley, Glenn yeah. Rowe, I mean, there was, yeah. there was a lot of Irish lads and, and that was a market that Wolves tapped into pretty yes. well. You know, Robbie, obviously. Um, and, you know, getting to the World Cup was good because, uh, you, you know, I played in, I mean, goodness me, I played in the 98 World Cup playoff, um, massive game. I played in the Euro 2000 playoff massive game and I played the World Cup playoff 
and um, me and Robbie started up top together. And, you know, so to finally qualify was, was great, but we had Robbie and Duffer and two world-class players. Yes. And, you know, um, probably not an, not an abundance of strikers. Um, so, you know, I got, I got my, and fair play to Mick, because I think Mick, you know, for, as you know, former Wolves manager, honest as the day is long. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I got the chance and, and, and unfortunately I missed a penalty, which, um, uh, it, it, you know, I did the, de- the, the, the cardinal sin of changing my mind. Did, oh. did, we have trained him the night before, trained yep. him the night before. I put it to the keeper's right and I was fixated on that. And then when you sort of get to penalties and you see what's gone before, you think, oh, hang on a minute, he's diving, maybe I should just try and put it down the middle. And then you end up just messing up. And um, it was uh, really, uh, you know, I didn't get, I didn't cry or anything like that. I was just absolutely gutted with myself that I'd wavered in my decision making. I should have just flipping stuck to what I was was going to do. And um, you live to sort of, you know, pay the pay the price. So it's uh, it's a right shame because we had a great bunch of lads and we'd worked so hard. Because as I said, we'd only got into the '98 playoffs because we conceded with, I think it was ten seconds left against Macedonia. Otherwise, we were already in the '98 World Cup. Yes. You know, and and uh, uh, and then you could, or that was the the two thousand Euros. One of them. I mean, so when we finally qualified, it was. It was relief more than anything. Yes, we probably should have been at three tournament, three tournaments. You know, really, I think we could have had three tournaments. I might have played a bit in each one of them. As it was, it was just um, against Spain in the in the um, in the um, shootout. I mean, for you, it, listen. I'll be honest. It takes a lot of balls to go up and take a penalty, and especially at that level in the World Cup. Um, I mean, what what are the nerves like? Yeah, that was. I t- well, I t- I t- there's, a, there's, a, there's a few things, right? Because there's 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 being brave or there's being, you know, also stupid, but there's also having a responsibility that you are, someone has to accept. Yes. You know, someone, someone has to accept a responsibility. And, you know, I've had penalties before, at some, like, for example, Sunderland, in a massive game against Burnley, we had to win to get promoted. And I, I got penalty, I missed it. And then I got another penalty. I got another penalty in the same game. Now, did I feel like I, I was going to take it and score? Not sure, but I felt a responsibility. Well, if I don't, that's got to fall on someone else. And yes. Fair on them. No, give me the ball. So I got the ball and I took it and I scored. Now, that's not like, oh wow, what a hero. The point is, I think in a penalty shootout or when you get a penalty, if you are a player in a position where you are responsible and yes. known for taking penalties, yep. known for being a striker. You've got. I think. I think you have to put your arm in the air and go, "Okay, I'll have one." And to be honest, we got to penalty shootout, and you wouldn't say people were jumping in the air to take one because who would? You know, who would? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a horrible way to kind of. But ultimately, you know, I, I had this with my son the other day, right? Yeah, he, his school, his school got to a penalty shooter, and he didn't take a penalty, and they lost. And I said, "Why didn't you take a penalty? I didn't want to be the one to miss." And I didn't want to tell him this story because it looks like you're some sort of hero or villain. But you know, in life, you know, well, you're putting your trust in someone else's hand. You should be accepting that responsibility. Yeah. But with it, with it though, comes the risk you might miss. And what do you do then? 
And that is, that's where it comes down to. And unfortunately, I missed. And it haunts you to the day you die. But <sighs> someone's got to. Someone's got to step up, you know. And and whether you're stupid or brave, uh, you know, it's um, it's a bad way to lose. But unfortunately you know that's that's what happened well listen david you're certainly brave for 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 getting up and taking the penalty i mean you know like you said huge responsibility but once you do miss it it is a painful experience now yeah very interestingly you've recently been at a presentation with the pfa with the wolves technical director um fran actually fran garagaza if i've uh, pronounced that properly um i mean firstly david do you still keep an eye out for the wolves results um how do you think the wolves are doing currently yeah. and well yeah i mean i tell you what the reason why I'm, i was i met fran, to, fran is um you know i uh, when i stopped playing went into coaching uh start with mills um under 18s then i worked with bristol city uh, with the first team, um, I did a lot of opposition analysis. Yes. I did scouting, recruit, recruitment, etc. And now I've gone into mostly with the media or the radio. But when I was at Bristol City, I used to often go and do the, the opposition. I'd go and, and analyse who we were playing next. I'd be the one that would give the final report. There were me and one other guy give the final report to Lee Johnson. So... Like the PFA invited me to go and uh, talk to Fran, and I was interested in in listening to Fran because I've I've been in the environment where you're looking at players, scouting, recruitment, opposition. Yes. You know, and and and, and ironically, um, in 2017 when Wolves won the league, I tell you this story just quickly. When Wolves won the league in 2017, yeah, I went to do I went to do the final report um, to give to Lee Johnson on Wolves. Okay. We were playing Brentford. Yes. Right, it was it was nil nil, and Wolves had lost the previous game. Yeah, they'd lost to Cardiff, right? And so you go into the game, and you're going, well, you know, and it's nil nil, right? So if you look at that, you go, ah, you know, these are Wolves will be okay, you know. Yeah, my report, my report was so glowing in the nil nil. I believe never really called me, but. About about my reports, although they'd be really detailed, he called me. He's like, "Dave, are you are you sure these are that good?" I said, "Lee, these are so good that they are gonna, you know, they're gonna, they could blow us out of the water. Like they are <laughs> incredible. I yes, mean, they, they, they got a player called they got a player called Jota who is incredible. He was he was incredible. So anyway, yeah. that was in short. I put all this this report together and 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 you know." And Lee was like, well, I might change formation. I play him. I said, look, their whole left side is, is so strong. You know, we got... Anyway, cut a long story short, um, we drew 3-3. Bristol City drew 3-3 that season with uh, with Wolves. And um, there was like, a few little bits and pieces that we did to try and counter Wolves. So, anyway, then, then you know, a few years later, um, you know, you come back to um, sort of be invited to a PFA, uh, uh, PFA presentation with... Um, with Fran, and it was interesting because obviously then you you, you get to see how our wolves are trying to do things these days. Yes, because it, you, you did put an interesting point on. It, does it look like that that they're, they're possibly moving away from from the from the the structure of Mendes and the transfer policy with what they've currently got? Yeah, I mean, if you, I guess, look, Kevin, and as I touched on earlier, I know uh, from you know, Kevin obviously departing and yes, how well they tried different um 
um, sort of ways of doing things, and we just seen the Leeds director of football leave. Yes. So, um, ultimately, ultimately, they do have to be responsible as well as the manager. You know, make no mistake. Yes. Uh, it's joined up thinking, but but I think Fran is is very much or was had fantastic success at Ibar, as everyone at Wolves will know. Because, yes. You know when. When um, you tweeted about it, and I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm quite new to, um, you know, Twitter. Yeah. We tweeted about it. I mean, obviously, the, re- the response from Wolves fans was like, "Right, what's he do?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know that wasn't me. What's his, what's his, no, no, it wasn't <laughs> me. But what's his role? And you know, because obviously, he's such a big football. Everyone wants to, you know, know how their football club works. But it, 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 it I. Yeah, I can't talk for France. I'm not going to talk for Wolves or about yes. how the structure is. But you know, just from what he was saying and the presentation, it was very good. But I don't. It, it's definitely not like a, a, a eyeball where there was a sporting director in, in charge of you know the academy, the first team, the women or whatever, and and then the whole scouting, recruitment, uh, medical, sports science. You know, uh, all encompassing. It doesn't look like that to me. At this moment in time, uh, with Fran and Wolves, so yes. it's more, I think, to do with uh, Julian and Danny Lopetegui. Yeah, it's very important in the recruit in the recruitment side, and and um, you know, Fran is is to me focused on you know the first team and and the the recruitment. Um, but it was it was just very very interesting, just in terms of how you know you can have the first, the sport the sporting director type model. Um, yes. You know, controlling everything, which was probably easier at a club like Ibar. Yeah. But I just wonder if it's a little bit harder um, at at uh, you know at, at, at maybe a Premier League level and Wolves, and also because you know ultimately you know the first team is the most important. That takes priority over over everything. And also, if you have a manager that doesn't that, that you know say doesn't do well, and then you you have to lose a bit of power and control. Yes. To get the right man in charge. Now you've got the right man in charge. Well, that man once he has success will dictate how that football club operates. I think either moving away from the director of football or you know working by the director of football. But that manager he might actually have a hand about who is the director of football. You know, rather than the other way round. So it's fascinating. It looks like to me at, at the minute Julian had a had a big role in getting. Fran in, yes, you know, um, rather than you know um, someone, you know, someone else. So uh, I think in that regard, uh, Fran to me is not up above above Julian, but he's working alongside Danny and Julian to to obviously bring Wolves back to um, you know to to. The, the glory days as they were, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as Wolves fans, we don't get to see and hear, you know, too much of this. All I know is that Lopetegui, since he's took over, I mean, we was dead bottom of the league. Um, I think we was all frustrated, especially after the seasons we'd had under Nuno, two seventh place finishes, FA Cup semi-final, uh, you know, European quarter-final. But then... Since Lopetegui's took over, there has been a massive change in fortunes, and it now looks like we're safe. Yeah, I mean, look, he is his pedigree, right? His pedigree is obviously outstanding. I mean, absolutely outstanding. I don't think you can read too much into the Brighton results at the weekend. No, you know, Brighton and uh, and their manager 
I mean, they are an incredible football team. Yes. And they've got an incredible manager who's been there longer, right? He's been there longer. He's able to implement all that. And, you know, they, they're, they're, probably where, they're probably where Wolves want to be at this moment in time. So uh, I think you, you will have a result like that sometimes against a side that is really, really hot. Yes. But in terms of what, what he's done, I mean, it's been absolutely, you know, incredible. But yes. there's no doubt he's got his son in. His son has done various courses so that it probably doesn't look like nepotism but he's there and he's worthy to be there yes you know, um, working alongside getting the recruitment right and and, and that will be very very important because you know um things that, that we touched on in this presentation were you know say the player you're focusing on the player where the player comes from whether it's, I mean, Wolves brought in a few players, didn't they, in the window? Yeah. Um, whether it's a lone, lone player, whether, you know, do they have a hunger to improve? Is their market value after the loan? Um, you know, uh, ha, uh, what are the reports on him? Is he married? Is he single? Is he a party guy? Yeah. You know, um, what options do the squad need? Do they need two types of left back? Do they need a Johnny and a someone else? Yes. You know, do they need a defensive one and an attacking one? I mean, all these little things, um, you know, and real options, not pie in the sky options. Yes. Real options, ones that you can go and get. Um, you know, and, and obviously your due diligence about players. You know, because you could say players in the loan. So I'm not going to name certain players, but say. Well, uh, Catroni, for example, or other players maybe didn't, didn't quite work. Or yes. Why? Is it the league they're coming from? Is it adaptation? You know, are you looking after the family? You know, all these sorts of things that... Absolutely. Uh, mistake. I think Fran, Fran is very, very, very detailed. And it's all about, you know, the person before the player. Right. And that was re- that was really good, the hunger. And it, and it brought back to why you play football, the passion and the hunger. You know, and and do the players have that? How do you find that out? You know, you've got to go and scout them, watch them, get there early, watch the warm up, watch watch all their you know all their behaviours. You know, pre game, during game, post game, as, as much as you can. All this sort, you know, little bits of bits and pieces, and then you know you have your profile, how you want to play, the manager wants to play, and then you you, you filter down all the all the knowledge. You know all the reports, and you filter it down and filter it down until you get to, you know, from a few thousand, you get down to, you know, a couple of hundred, and then you're getting down into the single-digit figures of right, what, who are real options? Yes. And uh, you know, so all, all, all that sort of stuff is, um, yeah, is all uh, is and having a balance of a squad. You know, having a balanced squad. You know, but it's it's all encompassing, and I guess. Um, but no, it was very, it was very interesting. And, and and one key thing was the power to say no. Right. Say no to it. Yeah. If you think about it, it is very important because, you, and this, you know, you spend a lot of time on who not to sign. Yes. Think about that. Yeah. But yeah. All the amount of time you spend on players, not sign them, because ultimately it comes down to is he right or, uh, or is he not? And say no. Uh, the manager might want a player. It, it doesn't quite fit in with the philosophy of the football club or he's too expensive or, you know, his agent wants too much money or, you know, he's only here, but he's a good player, but, you know, he doesn't live right. You know, all this sort of stuff, the, the same no is, is, yeah. is important as well. Because that's interesting, David, how football's changed because years ago it was that, you know, the manager would, would you know, uh, 
choose the transfers, etc., etc. And and now it's a changing world, and there's so many people that get involved with not only the transfers but everything behind the scenes. It's 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 a much bigger machine now. It is. I guess it's, it can manifest a couple of ways, though, because it can, you know, if you, you know, if you, I guess if you if you bring certain players in and the manager doesn't want them, you look at say, I don't know, talk about Jed Spence who, who went into Tottenham. Yes. You know, Conte didn't want it. Never played him. You know, wasted twenty million, wasted the kid's life. Well, well, the kid's season as a player. You know, but whether that was a signing from above. Yeah signing from above and it wasn't the player wasn't used so you've, you've got to have joined up thinking that you know okay this player might you might not think he'll be right but you know he'll come good and we'll be able to get value from him in a different way as you know uh, but it has to be joined up thinking with the manager because well you know if there isn't yeah, or if you just bring in players the manager wants what happens if the manager leaves yes and the next manager doesn't want him and he doesn't fit with the philosophy or he can only play a certain way so it is so nuanced and difficult to get right, you know. Like it, it, it really is. It's it's a very very difficult job, and you know the thing is, if you don't have a sporting director, yeah. Say so you have two, two ways of having it, right? You have a sporting director, or you don't. Say you yeah. have a sporting director, he's got an overall overall helicopter view of the whole club. So you know, if they are bringing players or signing. He'll know what's coming up in the academy, what's coming up um, in the first team, who's in the under 21s or under 23s, etc. Yes. You know, and, and and then he's looking at the whole world football, like who's available. And I guess if you don't, if you just got the manager, well, you know, I mean, the managers, there's only, uh, do you know how busy these managers are? Oh, yeah. There's only, there's only so much they can physically do. Yeah, that's right. And then even if they, you know, you give it to scouts, recruitment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, it's such a, it's a huge beast to get right. You know, and um, the good thing, I guess, for Wolves is they got it right so right now that yeah, you know, they've got a manager who could have been Real Madrid manager. Yeah. Oh, listen. He could have been, been the manager of Real Madrid. So you know, now you're talking uh, competing in in Europe in the Premier League. Yeah. And, and obviously, there were so many years with Wolves were. We're in League One or in the Championship, and and you know, and now at least they're back where in the Premier League, and they got an incredible. Well, I think he is incredible. I think he just, I think he is very, very good. I just think he, 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 he will need time as well to to make it his own. Oh, you know, to make it his own and, and to. To build, to build, yeah, to build it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think what, what Wolves fans, you know, <laughs> there's been some Wolves fans on social media who, who've doubted Lopetegui, which in my mind is absolutely mind-blowing. I think what they've all got to be mindful of, he's been in the job less than five months. He's changed it so much already. You, you can definitely see the, the, the effort of the players. Let's discount Saturday. But, you know, I, I'm more excited for next season when he's got a pre-season under his belt. Um, maybe there's going to be a few incomings. There's definitely going to be a few outgoings. So I think next season will be the one where we can we can properly judge him. Now, for you, David, looking at your career, you said you got so much joy from scoring goals. Did you uh, the, the transition to, to life after when you stopped playing football? Did you struggle with that, or or did you find that pretty easy? Well, um, no, I found it very, very, very difficult. Okay. Because because I think I think um, you know I remember when I was uh, playing football, so many people would say to me, "You need to have a, something else. You need to take up golf or have 
or another hobby, I was all consumed with football. Yeah. All consumed. Um, and, you know, that. so that's it. That was, that was all I had. And then when I retired, I mean, I'd already completed, uh, well, the season I retired, I finished my pro licence. Yep. So I then, I then went straight into coaching Millwall under 18s and I didn't, you know, I didn't break, I didn't stop. So that was me. I mean, um, I kept playing till I was 38. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 38. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I probably had about 20 operations in my career. I broke every bone in my body, <laughs> I would say. The only bone, the only bone I didn't break was my leg. Oh, okay. So I broke my ankle. Yeah, broke my ankle, broke my wrist, broke my collarbone, but uh, broke, uh, broke, broke, you name, broke my foot, um, you name it, and but nothing, I, nothing was going to stop me. Yes, uh, I had a real, I had a real desire, and it takes you where it takes you, you know. Um, but I found it difficult because I think you know I had a real love of the game. I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I didn't, I didn't like at thirty eight love. You know, putting my body to try and keep playing. I didn't love that. I didn't love having. I didn't love spending time in hotels, and I didn't. I didn't love being away from home. Yes. But I loved. I sort of loved the game. If that. If, yeah. If that's not a contradiction. So I, I sort of played, and you know, in some ways, I look at some players that might sort of hang in their boots up at twenty-eight or thirty or. You know, and then go straight into coaching. I'd be thinking, what, what, you know, because I think you, if you can, there's so much joy to be had from, you know, football, playing football. You keep going to you, you know, till you can. But 38 was more than enough for me. And, yeah. Um, and, um, and 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 that was that. But yeah, I think anyone who's, you know, some people can't wait to finish and uh, don't watch football, don't like football. I mean, to be honest, you know, I probably watch football every day of the week. Um, uh, on a Saturday, if I'm not at a game, I feel like I'm lost. Yeah. Um, and and I have to have a structure to my day, and I think it, uh, I struggle when uh, when I don't. So my job at the minute is very much unstructured, and it's something that you always wrestle with. I think. Okay. When you're retired because so- I think you either go you either go into like the the first team football environment, and, yeah. and I think I was not willing. I was not probably willing to. Um, be away from my kids. I've got four young children. Yeah. I probably wasn't willing. I probably was exhausted with playing and I didn't want to go, you know, in the first team ruthless environment initially. Um, and, and so it's trying to find the right, the right balance. Yeah. You know? Cause you, when you play football, you have, you have no balance. And then when you finish, you might go, well, I want a little bit of balance now. The thing is, it's like being a player. You can't, it's all or nothing, you know? And, and um, you know that's why I said these managers have no time. You know it's a full twenty-four hour a day, you know seven day a week job. And you know probably when I retired, I was I was thinking, oh, do I want to do that? You know again now because oh, oh, I was just I think exhausted with football. But I think you know in hindsight, maybe I should have had a year out and and I would have been good to to get back into it again. But as it is now, I've gone down a different route and. You know that's the that sort of, but I do. You're kind of in. You're in football or you're out of football. Yes. And I think the longer you're out of football, the more detached you can get from football because, like pundits and stuff, which is why I, I try and go to talk and, and presentations from Fran or or go and 
you know, go to coaching courses and all this sort of stuff because I think the longer you're away from football, the more detached you are, and then you can't yes. talk. You can't talk. You can't talk about football with no real authority because you've been out of it so long. The game moves so quickly. I mean, you know, people in football go, "Hang on a minute, what's this guy talking about?" I mean, you know, like you, you know, the, the trends just keep changing, so you've got to stay on top of it. Like, yes. Um, so yeah. Anyway, and, yeah, and, so that's where. But yeah, it's kind of difficult. But you know, it's. It, I think a lot of people, you know, do. You know, it's, yeah. To be honest, David, you, I mean, you're well qualified to talk. Three hundred ninety-eight league appearances, I believe, well over a hundred and thirty odd goals. Um, well, I mean, what 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 a fantastic career! If you can look back on that career, David, and you know, a point before I ask you the final question, but look on that career, thirteen. 13 clubs, 13 big clubs. You know, you went as far up, uh, you know, as north as Sunderland, right down on the south coast for Southampton and Portsmouth. And the point I was going to make before the final question is, football isn't as glamorous as we all see sometimes. Yes, you scored a lot of goals in your career, which you took a lot of pressure from. But then there was, there'd be spells at clubs where it didn't quite work out. And 13 moves, that takes its toll on, on, on the family, I suppose, as well, and on you as an individual when you can't, you know, be, be stable almost in one place? Yeah, I mean, um, it was uh, a case of, I think, um, you know, when you're a sort of striker and you're journeyman or whatever, you're moving around a little bit. I mean, unfortunately, because of, because of uh, uh, not unfortunately, but when you move around a lot, you kind of have to have a, a bit of a base. So yes. I did have a base and then I ended up travelling. I spent a, a bit of time travelling um, to training because... You know, you had a lot of free time, and, yes. and I didn't want to be—I didn't want to be stuck in a, you know, on my own in a hotel or something. So yeah. I would often tr- travel an hour or so to come home, which probably is not great for the body. But I just—I felt that was a a price I had to pay because it meant the other eight hours or ten hours of my day were yeah were where I wanted to be. You're not in a hotel and, room, and yeah, yeah. So, it, but it's but then if I was a manager, would I want my players travelling an hour or so every day? Probably not. It's yeah, not good for the body. So, it's yeah, it's it, it's a kind of contradiction there. But um, yeah, with all the moves you do, you do move around. But I mean, look, I could have probably retired at I reckon thirty five. Yeah, and I'd have my hip operated on. I, I, I'd spent ages injured, and I ended up playing for Alan Pardew again at Southampton. And I had like three really good season as a 35, 36, 37 year old or whatever it was with fantastic players, some of whom, you know, end up winning the Champions League and the Premier League. And I wouldn't have had them if I'd have just gone, do you know what, I can't be bothered anymore. Absolutely. You're a long time retired, aren't you, David? Yeah, exactly. So I think you... You know, you, you, you like, because I worked with Alan Pardew before, which I quite like. Lots of people I've worked with before, they work with me again. Yeah. You know, so, um, and, and uh, I've been injured a lot, and Alan gambled on me, and, and I did quite well for him, and I know he left Southampton in the end. But the point being, yeah, you know, I've got a few good years there, and um, those years maybe I, I, I might not have seen if I'd have just gone, you know what, I can't be bothered anymore, you know, let's just call it quits. So, um, but yeah, you have to move around a lot, yeah, you have to put a price to pay, and it's always, I think, a balance of are you willing to pay that price? If yes. You, whatever you do in life, right? Whatever you do, you know, are you, do you want to go and get up and do this today, or do you not? You might have to go travel far, 
might not be money you want, might not be this, might not be that, might not see your family. Are you willing to pay the price? Yeah. You know, and that is it, ultimately. And it's the same with football. You know, you, you, it might not be the right club, might not be the right, you know, team, or might not get paid what you want to do, but, you know, is that, do you want to do it or or not? Are you willing to pay that price? And I think, uh, yeah, that's... That's how it was. I, I, think. I, I think for you, David, it, it was it was most certainly a price worth paying in a professional career over twenty years. If you can look back on that fantastic career, David, listen, we've touched on some lowlights today, but what was the absolute highlight of that career? Um, geez, I don't know. I mean, um, like we won a few won a couple of things, like you know, won the championship with Sunderland, won promotion a few times. At Wigan, we reached the League Cup final, but like I played in every round and then injured for the final. Oh. I probably wouldn't have started. I probably wouldn't have started the final, but I played every round, you know, and played in the semis and got injured in the semis, you know. And so like that, I think scoring goals, scoring, you know, for Ireland, scoring for big clubs, scoring on your debuts, you know, playing yep. in the country, all those, all those sorts of things. I think are. Um, are, are you know are highlights and obviously you could always want a bit more um but you know maybe you're always uh, grateful kind of uh, for, for what you got because you know, any young player coming through now i mean you know it, it seems like so difficult to make the grade i mean it's just incredible so um you know it, 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 yeah it's uh it, there's a there's a lot of, an awful lot of players who don't who don't make the grade and and um you know, often to, 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 to make it, you, you got to overcome a lot of adversity. And there's, yeah, there's no doubt that, um, you know, you have to do that. And, uh, yeah, so, um, and played, and I played with loads of great players. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I played, I, I played with loads of great, not saying I was, but I played with, and, and they were inspiring. You know, they were like, you know, say Robbie, brilliant player, you know, uh, inspired you with his ability at West Ham. You know, Jermaine Defoe or Michael Carrick. Like, of course, yeah. You know, in Holland, you know, in Holland, there was, you know, Ronald Koeman was their first day in training. And, you know, you're just like, what? You know, you just, you just played with a man. Southampton was, you know, Lallana or, you know, you, 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 so you can pinpoint sort of, you know, just playing with really good players, you know, and that's what I love doing. I love going to clubs and going, right, bang, you know, look, what's he like? Right, can I be as good as him or... You know, I love playing with these players. Let me test myself with these. You know, that was, yeah, so that was good. Oh, well, David, thank you for the interview today. Thank you for your absolute honesty. You know, we covered so much. Really appreciate your time on the Wolf Whistle. Thank you for representing our great club. And you are welcome back on the podcast anytime. Cheers, Jase. Thanks very much.